May the Lord bless the reading of this living Word. And may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to You, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus' fame had spread all over the countryside after He raised Lazarus from the dead. John says that it was because of this sign that the crowd came to meet Him. And who could blame them? Like Lazarus, they had plenty of dead and broken places within their lives that needed resurrection. Just like us. They greeted Jesus as the Messiah, as the One who yielded the power of God Almighty. As He rode into Jerusalem, they yelled, Save us! waving their palm branches from the roadside. Seeing what was happening, the Pharisees even said to one another, look, the whole world has gone after Him. And this was no exaggeration. John tells us some Greeks come to Philip and Andrew wanting to see Jesus. But Jesus seems to ignore their request. Or does He? Jesus is saying that to truly see Him as He really is, you have to see Him as a grain of wheat crushed to the ground to be buried in a tomb of soil. Jesus is saying that to truly see Him as He really is, you have to see Him as the One who came to be a servant rather than to be served. He will scandalize His disciples in just a few days and just the next chapter by falling to His knees to wash the dust off His disciples' feet just like a slave. Jesus is saying that to see His glory as it really is is not to see Him exalted on a throne of earthly power as the ecstatic crowd fantasized about, but lifted up naked nailed to a cross, seemingly powerless in the most humiliating human death possible. Jesus would show the glory of God in what looked like loss and failure. As those of us who know the end of the story, it is hard for us to imagine how shocking this would have been to those Greeks who just wanted to have a selfie with Jesus. And we have to remember also, though, that it would be just as shocking to those who just disciples who we think should know better. Jesus had told them over and over again that He was going to die. But then they saw what happened with Lazarus. And then they saw the crowds swarming Him. You have to imagine that they got their hopes up that they thought, well, well, maybe Jesus was wrong about all this death and suffering and dying stuff. Maybe everything really will be alright. It's called cognitive dissonance. When deep down we know something is true, when we've seen the evidence, when we've heard what was said, but we don't want to believe it, and so we just don't. In their cognitive dissonance, the disciples wanted to see Jesus just like the crowd did. As a healer, as a miracle worker, 
as one who would give his followers the health, wealth, power, and influence they craved. All gain with no pain. But we know that that's not who Jesus was then, and it's not who Jesus is now. Those of us who know better might derisively call this kind of thinking the prosperity gospel. But let's be honest. We all want to see Jesus like that from time to time, don't we? We too have to be reminded that the glory of God is not the same as human prosperity. Remember, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but not before Mary and Martha watched their brother slowly die, and not before they mourned his death for three whole days. He did not stop Lazarus from dying or prevent Lazarus' sisters from experiencing the pain and grief of his death. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but not before suffering his own grief. John writes that Jesus was greatly troubled in his spirit. And in the shortest and most powerful verse in the Bible, he writes that Jesus wept. Jesus did not spare Himself the pain of His own grief. Let that sink in for a moment. As Jesus rode His donkey into Jerusalem a few days later, He had compassion on the crowds who shouted, Save us! Save us! But even He couldn't save them all. Not on that day. At least not in the way that they wanted Him to. Jesus did not save them from their disappointment. Their needs remained in spite of their faith in Him. Jesus didn't even save Himself. Not when they came with swords and clubs to arrest Him. Not when they tried Him. Not when they spit on Him and beat Him and called Him names. Not even when they nailed Him to a cross. Jesus was fully divine, but did not spare Himself from the worst possible thing that can happen to a human. But for those who can see it in all of this, Jesus shows us the glory of God's love. The divine power that could have escaped all grief, suffering, and death, but chooses to endure it to be with us. And so the first invitation from Jesus this morning is not for us to worship Him as one who conquers our pain and suffering so we don't have to feel it, nor one who allows us to triumph over death so we don't have to experience it. No, that's coming, but not yet. But the one whose heart breaks with ours, who stands right beside us in all of the cruelty and tragedy of this human life. It is right and fitting for us to believe in divine intervention, to pray that God will heal the sick, that God will revive the dying, to ask for miracles, to believe that God will somehow do fix what seems irredeemably broken in our lives and in the life of this world. I believe these things can happen, 
I have prayed for these things to happen with you. You have prayed for these things to happen. They have happened in my life and they have happened in yours. But these things are not sure things. When they do happen, they are rare and fleeting. But what we can be sure about is this. That whatever we face, that Jesus has been there. And that Jesus is there. That Jesus is here. You don't just meet Jesus once you've made it to the mountaintop. But in that steep canyon scramble, in that dark valley climb, in the struggle itself, you don't just meet Jesus in remission. You meet Jesus in the middle of that cancer fight. You don't just meet Jesus in some kind of destination of comfort and peace that you find on the other side of loss as if grief is something you ever get through or get over or as if getting over it is some sort of spiritual accomplishment you could earn. We often praise those people that somehow seem to go on with their lives stoically, seeming without too much, not to have too much struggle after a spouse or a child dies. And that is well-meaning, but it is awful theology. You meet the weeping Jesus in your weeping you meet the greatly troubled spirit of Jesus in your greatly troubled spirit. And to me, that is why it's been so important for us to praise in the middle of a pandemic. To praise honestly, holding in one hand our grief and in the other hand our gratitude. Our lament and our laughter in a great both and. We have tried to do this every single week in worship over these last 12 months. It feels really important this year to celebrate Easter. Vaccines going into arms being that tangible light at the end of a dark, dark season of loss. But I would say that it was even more important last year to defiantly stare in the face of death and say, we believe that resurrection can come even from there. And it is important also to pause now. To not run too quickly past this pandemic without recognizing the wounds and the losses and the struggles that will continue to remain. Because if we rush too quickly to resurrection, we might rush past those places of pain where Jesus is still waiting to embrace us. And until we go there, we will not be healed. And until we go there, we will not see the glory of God. But there's more. The good, if unsettling news, is not that just that Jesus meets us in our failure, in our disappointment, in our suffering, in death, but he, that He invites us to make the same choice that He did to willingly suffer. To willingly suffer to serve and love others. Those of us who have met Jesus in the places of our deepest need know that with Jesus' help, they have something to give others in need too. 
This is the other meaning of Jesus' response to the Greeks' request to see Him. If you remember back at the very beginning of John, Andrew asked Jesus a question. But rather than answering Him, Jesus says, come and see. The next day, Jesus finds Philip and tells him, follow me. And Philip goes and tells his friend Nathaniel. And when Nathaniel asks Philip a question about Jesus, Philip says, come and see. And in that same chapter, John includes the seemingly random detail that Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. So now fast forward to today's story. When those Greeks ask Philip from Bethesda to see Jesus, it seems that they don't just want to see Jesus in a superficial way, but that they might also want to follow him. And so Jesus tells them what it means to follow. Like a single grain of wheat that yields an abundant harvest, my single life given to the world in suffering and death will be resurrected to yield much fruit in the many lives of those who come to believe that I am the way and the truth and the life. And you have seen in my life and you will soon see in my death that my way is this. Those who love their life will lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't love ourselves or regard our human lives as anything less than valuable, even sacred. Jesus is not saying that we should hate this world, our fellow human beings, or the created order that sustains us all, but that we should not grasp too tightly to our lives as they are defined by the cosmos, the Greek word that we translate as this world. Cosmu means the human-made, moral, political, social, economic, and sometimes even religious ideologies and structures of life in this world that are ultimately corrupt and death-dealing. As I look at you, I know that we might all describe these structures and ideologies in different ways. We might all name different things. But looking at Jesus' words through the lens of His life, I think Jesus is telling us that we should hate anything that tempts us to exalt or glorify ourselves over and above others. This might seem like an easy thing to do, but we often grasp for power or retain power in ways that are subtle and quiet. When we take up too much space with our lives, there is no room for anyone else. We have to make some sort of sacrifice of ourselves to let others in, to love others. Jesus gives us a proactive and practical instruction on how to do this. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. He tells us to be diakonos. Some of you know that word. It's the one we translate as deacons. Literally, those who hasten to humble themselves to get down in the dust 
to serve Him through serving others. Jesus refuses to let His would-be followers believe that following Him is an upward trajectory of blessing, but rather that the only way to move up in the kingdom is to move down, is to lower yourself into the role of a servant. To do this requires that we learn to let go of anything that gets in the way of us saying, Thy will be done. Our delusions of grandeur and our outsized importance, our expectations, our agendas, our plans, and our comfort. I would say most of all, our comfort. All of these things get in the way of us seeing the living Christ in us that not only wants to meet us in our deepest needs, but also to lower Himself into the dust to meet others' needs through us and our lives. And Jesus is warning us that doing so, that following His footsteps feels like nothing short of being nailed to a cross. Over these last 12 months, we have been very focused on ourselves, on our families, on this church. And that has been just what has been necessary to survive. When this pandemic began, our bodies and minds literally went into survival mode. Fight and flight and freeze. And in many ways, we are still there. Our bodies are still amped up not yet recovered from that. But as followers of Jesus, now is the time for us to remember Jesus' call to self-giving love, to sacrificial service. I believe that Jesus is telling us that the only way to disrupt the hold of the cosmu, the bondage He calls life in this world, is to join Him in costly service. I believe committing to serve one another is the one only way to heal the wounds of that necessary evil of social distancing and isolation that got us through the virus, but also that unnecessary evil of the polarization that has plagued us throughout. You know that. That is why many of you continue to give up your Saturdays to give out COVID vaccines. That is why some of you met yesterday morning to feed our neighbors who struggle with hunger at Moffitt. That is why we raised money as a church and you gave so generously to feed healthcare workers. And why we will continue to come together to serve like in April when we meet to pack meals for Harvest Pack. In these days, West Main is intentionally focusing on practical acts of service, on missions. But it's not just about doing a project on a Saturday. It's about learning to live a life of service to and through Christ. These projects are like us practicing that again and again, developing that muscle. It's about asking always, how might Jesus want me to serve my neighbor, my spouse, my parent, my child through me? How might Jesus want me to serve through the person I'm sitting in the pew with? How might Jesus want to serve through me to the person who is watching by themselves at home? 
the person who will be homebound long after the pandemic is over? What does it mean for Christ to serve this community and its people through us, even and especially those who would never darken the door of this church? To answer these questions with our individual lives, to answer these questions with our life together, will always cost us something. But that is the death that leads to life. At the end of this passage, Jesus says that when He is lifted up high on the cross, that He will draw all people to Himself. This is good news for those who can see it. If you want to see Jesus this morning, look at your own pain. Look at your own grief. Look at your own suffering. Look at your own failure. Look at your disappointment. Look at death. For eyes that can see, that is where Jesus is to be found. If you want to look at Jesus this morning, if you want to see Him, look at the pain in our world. As Frederick Buechner says, look for that place where, the, where your deepest joy meets the world's deepest hunger, the world's deepest need. Sometimes there's no joy at all, but only pain. And maybe it means being obedient even in that. For eyes that can see, that is where Jesus is beckoning us to follow, whatever it costs. May it be so as we walk toward Easter together. Amen. If you have...